You're listening to Sermons at FCC Moorhead, a podcast of sermons preached at First Christian Church in Moorhead, Kentucky. A congregation in the Christian Church Disciples of Christ tradition, we are a faith community seeking to live out Christ's call of hospitality and shalom. I'm Reverend Nancy Galler, minister at FCC, and each week we'll post the latest sermon preached from our pulpit. Most weeks you'll hear my voice, but from time to time you'll find guest preachers on this podcast too. Thanks for listening. Most cultures have stories of incorrigible rogues, trickster characters who cunningly upset events, disrupt lives and narratives with a little twinkle in their eye. They are unpredictable, they are rebels, they are equally adept at gaming the system to their advantage, tricking both heroes and villains to get what they want. There is, of course, that quintessentially American trickster. You know the one, the rascally rabbit, Bugs Bunny. Or think of Captain Jack Sparrow. Or, one of my favorites, in 2021, the Marvel Cinematic Universe created a whole TV series around that charismatic Loki, the Norse god of mischief, played to perfection by Tom Hiddleston. And we all love a good trickster story, don't we? And we've got one here today. Our journey through these ancestral stories of Genesis has now moved to the third generation, to Abraham's grandson, Jacob, son of Rebekah and Isaac, and one of the finest tricksters you will ever meet. Of course, you may remember that Abraham's son Isaac had two sons, twins, and Jacob was the second born of those two boys. His name Jacob, meaning heel grabber, reflected the struggle of his mother's labor in giving birth. For it was said that Jacob was born grasping onto the heel of his older brother Esau. He is a scoundrel. He's a trickster, that Jacob. Somehow he talks his older brother out of his birthright for the price of a bowl of stew. And then later, as his aging father, now blind, is dying, he conspires with his mother and with lies and a bit of creative community theater, wrangles a blessing from his father, a blessing that was meant for his older brother, Esau. Jacob we will agree, is no shining example for us to emulate. He is a rogue. He twists lies from truth. He takes advantage of every situation he finds himself in in order to promote himself at the expense of his older and more dutiful brother, Esau. And in chapter 27, just a little bit before our reading this morning, the storyteller lets us know that Esau hates his brother for his duplicity and he's planning on killing him as soon as their father Isaac is dead so the question in the story is how will our trickster escape this never fear 
He's got a secret weapon. His mother. Because Jacob is a mama's boy. Rebecca was behind this elaborate deception which secured Esau's blessing for Jacob. And now to protect her son, she urges Isaac to send Jacob away to find a wife. Thereby putting distance between this fuming Esau and her beloved Jacob. So off Jacob goes toward Haran, across the River Jordan. He faces a long journey, nearly 300 miles, and on that first night off on his own, he stops at a place and prepares to spend the night. Knowing Jacob and his resourcefulness, we should be assured that he has chosen a safe, secluded shelter with protection from any strangers. And there, exhausted from his journey, his heart weary from all of the scheming, Jacob takes a stone from the many stones around there and places it at his head. Now, the stone was probably not used for a pillow, as is sometimes translated as under his head, but it was probably more likely a protective barrier for his head to hide him in some way. The story says that he laid down in that place, and before he knows it, his eyes are closed, and he begins to dream. Now, some of you may have learned the song, We Are Climbing Jacob's Ladder, yes? But the Hebrew word that's translated as ladder is more obscure. It it may refer to something more like a ramp. So we can imagine a ziggurat with a large, long stone ramp or stairs leading up to the top of a structure, or it can even refer to a large impressive gate, such as a formal entrance to a city, but it's probably not a ladder. And in this dream, Jacob sees this ramp leading right up into the sky, and the messengers of God are walking up and down, and suddenly in his dream, he hears God speaking to him. Now, if I were writing this story, Now would be a good time for God to give Jacob a severe talking to, right? Now, Jacob, you've been misbehaving. You've dealt poorly with your brother. You've coveted your brother's position in the family. You've stolen your birthright. You've not honored your father. In fact, you've lied to your father. You need to repent. You need to beg for forgiveness. You need to turn your life around. Well, I guess lucky for the world, I am not God, or even the writer of this story in Genesis, because God doesn't say anything close to that, does he? Not one word of condemnation, not one admonition to repent, nothing, nada. Instead of my perfectly crafted response to Jacob's character flaws, God first offers some words of introduction. I, the Lord, and the God of Abraham, your father, and the God of Isaac. Now notice that God does not say that he is the God of Jacob. No, he is the God of his ancestors, of his father and his grandfather. But then God goes on to give Jacob a covenantal promise, much like that he had given to his grandfather Abraham and then to his father Isaac. 
He says, the land on which you lie, to you I will give it and to your seed. And your seed shall be like the dust of the earth. And look, I am with you and will guard you wherever you go. At this point, I want to say, really, God? I mean, a promise of blessed future to this lying, conniving little cheat? What in the world is God thinking? Surely there is no reason to trust Jacob. He's unreliable. He's self-absorbed. He's manipulative. He's spoiled. He's selfish. Fill in the blank. But God offers this flawed second son a future filled with blessings and grace, even though he's done absolutely nothing to deserve it. With the words still hanging in the cobwebs of his dreaming, Jacob awakens. Indeed, the Lord is in this place, and I did not know, he declares. He'd just been looking for a place of safety to spend the night, and instead he'd stumbled upon the entrance to heaven. In the story, Jacob shows some sense of the importance of this encounter. He recognizes the sacredness of this secluded spot, and he goes on to say, how fearsome is this place. This can be but the house of God. And in that moment, something, I think, surprises Jacob. He finds himself in this liminal space, perhaps for the first time in his life, what the ancient Celtic people would have called a thin place where heaven and earth come close to one another. And in that moment of encounter, his reality has been shaken. So he awakens early in the morning. He moves the stone from where he had put his head and served as protection during the night. And he now sets it up as a pillar, and he pours oil over it to consecrate it. And he names that spot Bethel, house of God. Sounds good, right? Maybe this is a turning point for Jacob. Maybe now, having been given this gift, this dream of promise, Jacob will turn over a new leaf. He'll become a new man, put all those conniving trickster ways behind, step into the big shoes of his ancestors, or not. He's a trickster. After all, you see, after setting up this cultic marker and pouring oil of it, over it, Jacob makes a vow to the Lord, but it's not the vow that you might expect. He's received this divine promise, and what he could do is just make a simple vow. Right then and there, thank God for blessings and grace and promise to do his best to live a good life. But that's not what he does. He makes a conditional vow. Did you hear it? He seeks to barter with God to get the best deal for himself. He says, if the Lord God be with me and guard me on this way that I am going and give me bread to eat and clothing to wear and I return safely to my father's house, then... The Lord will be my God. And this stone that I set as a pillar will be the house of God. And everything you give me, I will surely tithe it to you. What a piece of work, right? <laughs> I mean, seriously, 
It's just the same old Jacob, isn't it? Setting conditions on his allegiance to God, demanding presence and protection and bread and clothing and safe passage home. Here we are with Jacob, the heel grabber. He's still working the game, isn't he? He's still grabbing everything he can, whether it's from his brother, from his father, his mother, and now even from God. And God chooses to bless him anyway. No matter how undeserving, ungrateful, self-centered he continues to be. God remains faithful. I suspect if we were brave enough to be honest about ourselves that we would agree that Jacob is not just a bygone character in an ancient text. That as we come to know Jacob, we start to see a little bit of ourselves in him, don't we? We've got that less than perfect story down pat. Too often we are overly focused on ourselves always seeking the best, mostly for ourselves. And when God offers us grace, without strings attached, we find a way to give just as little as we can, risking very little and grasping for it all and then pretending that we're devoted followers. All the while, not completely giving up on our abilities, to work things out for ourselves and to our advantage. There's a little bit of Jacob in us, after all, isn't there? And even as I've gotten older, I think I've learned to give Jacob a little more slack, too. Despite the fact that he continues to reveal himself as ever the trickster, Because if you dig a little deeper into his stories and the stories of Abraham and Isaac, you see a woundedness to his story. One that goes back generations to the fateful decisions of his grandparents, to Abraham and Sarah. It is easy to imagine how his father's home would have been overshadowed by distrust and pain, isn't it? Isaac forever carrying that burden that Abraham put upon his shoulders in his choice to bind him up as a sacrifice. How does one ever find wholeness after such trauma? We can imagine the emptiness of family gatherings as Jacob grew up in which his uncle Ishmael was never there. Or the sadness of his father, which lingered long after his grandmother, Sarah, died. Like Jacob, we all wrestle with the struggles of our own families, with the hidden wounds that we carry that are never fully healed. How do we pick up those pieces and weave them together into a fabric of our lives in ways that are life-giving and not a repetition of past hurts for future generations. Jacob here just falls back on his own patterns because that's the way he's learned to survive. In a family that was scarred by betrayal, trust must be earned for Jacob. Even trust in God. 
perhaps especially trust in God. But the good news is Jacob's story isn't finished yet here. His journey will reveal God's intention to follow through with that covenant he shared with Abraham. As God works through the choices of his grandfather and his father, and now Jacob's choices too, some of them good and some of them regrettable. Jacob has more lessons to learn and more than his share of mistakes to make down the road. And as his journey unfolds, he'll toss and turn in dark nights of decisions and he'll flounder through days of uncertainty just as you and I do today. But through it all, the presence of God never leaves Jacob. He's encountered God at heaven's gate and now his life is forever changed. Years later, on another dark and lonely night, when Jacob is too anxious to dream, he will instead wrestle with a mysterious stranger, with himself, and with God. And it's only then that the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, will truly be the God of Jacob. This God of the second son the God of the often cast aside, the God of the overlooked, that God is the God of the trickster, too, of the schemer, the God of the broken, the estranged. That God is a God who promises presence even when we're running away. Even when we're caught up in the rat race of trying to get ahead, even when we're only thinking of ourselves. The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob is present with us in all of those moments, always in grace, always in grace. As we wrestle with Jacob's story, may we just as he did discover that the Lord is in this place at this very moment in our lives, whether we are in the midst of joy or heartbreak, whether we are despairing or if we intently planning out our next moves, whether we are content or restless, whether we've been cast aside or we are paralyzed by anxiety, no matter our situation, may we come to know that the Lord is in this place with us, even though we did not know. Thanks be to God. Thanks for listening. We hope you found inspiration today. To learn more about our congregation, you can like us on Facebook or follow us on Instagram and Twitter. Until next time, be well, be kind, and always be the church where you are.